You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown, sixth touchdown pass touchdown of, of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, little bit of everything. We're going to talk about Zach Thomas on the fish tank. We're going to take a look at the 2023 opponents and do a little bit of schedule talk. Look around the web and see what the experts are saying as we are now just three weeks out from the 2023 NFL Draft. And finally, we welcome in Paulo Antunes of ESPN Brazil to talk some ball. And I want to tell you what I've been watching on TV during my paternity leave. All of that and a heck of a lot more from somewhere in South Florida. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. You know, I was thinking the other day, we always have to wait until May for the schedule to come out. And that's a good time for it because of the way content lines up as far as free agency, the draft. You get coaching changes typically before that in the month of February with all the college all-star games. Like, they've kind of got it figured out with how they pace the NFL offseason right into OTAs. And then you get that little month break in July before you kick it off with training camp. And I suppose the schedule does bridge that gap pretty well in the month of May. But I think we can talk about the opponents and when, you know, certain teams will be coming to Miami. That's going to be determined in May. But right now we can talk about the action of playing those teams and the matchups. And we won't know, obviously, you know, because it's not about who you play, right? It's when you play them. And we won't know which players will and won't be available for certain games until we get the injury reports the week of. But it's more than that. Travel time, short weeks, consecutive road games, the climate you're going to. There's a lot that goes into it. And that's why I still love schedule release day, even though I know it's been a bit overdone as this primetime show. And some folks say, I don't care about the schedule, just print it off and give it to me. I get that, but I get excited about it. And the other thing that really got me thinking about this was the idea of potential primetime games. And I saw Peter King of Football Morning in America go on the Jets official podcast, boo, and he said he believes the Jets, boo, will open the season on national television. And he floated the Buffalo Bills as a potential opponent, but couldn't you just as easily see it being us? It would satisfy the time is a flat circle argument since back in 2008, our last AFC AFC East championship, boo on that. When the Jets traded Brett Favre, or for Brett Favre, I should say, they opened that year in Miami. And of course, we went back to their building with their quarterback and won the division in week 17. But couldn't you just see that being like the first Monday night football game of the year. I don't think it would be Sunday night. That's usually for Cowboys or for, you know, Steelers or whatever, a big time national type of uh, blue blood, but I could see it being the Monday night game. But the genesis of this thought was when we had Jeff Darlington on the Twitter space show last year, 
and we were discussing the hype surrounding the team after Tehran and Tyreek and all these big moves. Uh, Mike McDaniel was the biggest, as, as Darlington told us as well. And he mentioned that it typically takes a year for networks to catch up to the hype. He said oftentimes they want to see a team prove that they are a draw. And didn't Miami do that a year ago? I mean, offense sells, right? Well, top 10 offense with the best one-two punch at wide receiver, a top I say five quarterback, you can call it top 10 if you want, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, talk to a wall about it. But you get the idea. I think that satisfies the criteria for fireworks, for offense, for explosive plays, which gets the people going, as it were. And it's kind of the same way I talk about expectations for teams. Like we always, you know, the team that won the offseason, can they win 11 games? Can they win 12 games? It usually comes the following year once they've gotten continuity developed with said team. So the Dolphins opponents this year, you guys should know this uh, by now. Patriots twice, Jets twice, Bills twice. That's obvious. At home, we get two teams in the AFC West, Raiders and Broncos. We'll travel to the Chiefs and Chargers to finish up that round robin with arguably one of the top divisions in the NFL. We'll see what happens with Denver and and, uh, Las Vegas, respectively. Then you have the Titans at home as your AFC South uh, game. The AFC North game is against the Ravens on the road. And then your NFC East games are Cowboys and Giants at home, Eagles and Commanders on the road. And your bonus game this year, the 17th game, is the Panthers at Hard Rock Stadium. Think about the primetime possibilities here. I would say both Jets and Bills games are hot tickets. That's four potential primetime games to choose from. The Cowboys are a potential primetime game for anybody they play every single year. Uh, Even if they're bad, they're going to get five. And we have a history with that team as well. But look at that road slate of games. The Chiefs, that's got to be primetime, right? If not a 425 CBS uh, doubleheader game in that late window, Tyreek's return, what he just said on his podcast or whatever podcast he did, which by the way, can we talk about how it's supposed to be fun? Football's supposed to be fun. So when you have Tyreek Hill talking about crack black, crack blocking Chris Jones, obviously he's messing around and having a good time. It doesn't matter. Like no one's going to go back if the Dolphins lose that game and say, well, Tyreek should have said he's going to crack black. Why can't I say crack block? Crack block Chris Jones. Who gives a darn you know it's fun it's supposed to be fun uh that's a tangent chargers Tua versus herbert is obviously a massive draw uh those guys are one and one now against each other in their career same deal with the eagles i mean to me two of the best rosters in the nfl but also Tua versus hurts you know Tua took hurts job in in college and hurts to this point has had a better pro career than Tua, but not by much uh, i think we could see a minimum of or not a minimum but i would be surprised i should say if we don't get at least three primetime games, I expect more than that. Probably a maximum of five. Isn't that the rule still? We will see. But few rosters have more marquee names than Miami. And, and it's Miami. Like, we have a very fun, charismatic head coach who has his team playing the right way. And, you know, like, what network wouldn't want to get as many trips to South Florida lined up for their crew as possible? I always thought they used to put a Monday night game late in the year on, on uh, in like, December in Miami because, hey... Alan and John Madden wanted to get down to South Florida for Christmas. But before we get into our first break here, I just want to talk real quick about uh, those matchups and some of the intriguing offseason moves for these ne- these games 
next fall and winter. We start with the Bills, and like obviously three awesome, tightly contested games right to the end last year. Miami came up short in two of those, one of those being the playoff game, which goes back to the 90s and all those playoff matchups this these two rivals had in those days. Uh, I think these guys are pretty clear-cut one and two in the division, Miami and Buffalo. I think there's a steep gap next, even with Rodgers, if he does go to the Jets between they and the Patriots. But they also made some moves that I think will improve their team, even though they're kind of entering this phase where maybe the, you know, the all-in push or like the Von Miller type of trades, they're getting anybody and everybody who wants to continue continue their career and chase a ring. Like they're in that sweet spot, right? It seems like maybe shifting out of that, they did have some holes on the offensive line. They tried to button that up with Connor McGovern and David Kessenberry. We'll see if that works. They lost Tremaine Edmonds in the middle of that defense, and he did so much for them. I still think Matt Milano is the key piece there, and they showed that by giving him the extension. But getting Jordan Poyer back with Micah Hyde changes that defense entirely. Tredavious White, a full year of health. That that rookie cornerback class with Christian Benford and Kyer Elam. I don't know what to expect from this team. I do think getting Damian Harris and the potential of them committing more to the run and getting Josh Allen to revert back to how he played, you know, in much of the year, I thought, you know, Josh Boyer had his best games against the Buffalo Bills with confusing Allen and forcing him into those deep shots that just didn't hit high percentage wise. But if he can revert back to playing, you know, more of the quarterback position and not just playing, you know, YOLO ball, and they can pair that with Damian Harris, that kind of scares me a little bit, but uh, these are going to be two great games again and probably going to see them for a third time in the playoffs once again. This, These two teams are very good, and I'd be shocked. I, I would be stunned if at least one of these games was not in prime time. Then you get the Jets. I, I feel the same way. I think one of these games will go prime time. I feel like week one is going to be Dolphins and Jets Monday night. That's my prediction right now. I'm talking just completely speculation, but obviously Aaron Rodgers is the big one. He changes everything. Worst quarterback room in the NFL last year for them in terms of their production, especially once Mike White got hurt, because beyond that, they didn't have anybody who could play. Mike White can play. Nobody else in that roster could. Um, but can they repeat that defensive performance? I tend to say no. We, we did, we've done the, uh, the research on those in the past, right? Like, it's so much easier to maintain continuity and pr- production on offense than it is defense in the modern NFL because you just have to be so good in so many areas and avoid injuries. And the best offenses typically get the best of the best defenses. So it's just so tough to sustain that level of play. I, I, so you tend to forecast a bit of a step back for these top level defenses that played so, so well. And we even saw that late in the year. The Jets couldn't, they, they were a different team the last five games of the year in the way Miami was, but the Dolphins had the quarterback issue, the injuries, all, all the stuff that went into that, the Jets had a lot of their pieces and still had that struggle. So I think that was more a reflection of who they were compared to beating, you know, Mitch Trubisky against the Steelers and beating uh, Brett Rippon of the Broncos. Like, they had a pretty soft lane there for a while, and then they got to some real opponents and saw how that played out. I think the matchups here are fun. You know, Sauce and DJ Reed versus Tyreek and Jalen, then X and Ramsey versus Garrett Wilson and potentially Odell Beckham be a fun matchup there but uh the Dolphins owe the Jets a sweep this year and I think if we're healthy we'll get that the Patriots always such important games but I think you know we talk about the steep drop off from Buffalo Miami to the rest of the division I think this this trench is even deeper um these are important games always close games like limited positions or possessions you're gonna get seven or eight possessions per game uh you know we got Gesicki and Parker there the uh Dolphins traded out those guys for guys that can separate. And so the Patriots are dealing with that now with, you know, Mac Jones. I just saw a report that the locker room is split on Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. That's not a good sign. Uh, I just, 
all I want here is can we open with somebody else? I do expect a sweep here, but can we open with somebody else three years in a row? Give me some variety. Um, yeah, that's the AFC East. The Raiders, Jimmy G is new in town. He's new in town. John Mulaney call out there. Josh McDaniels typically, you know, has... When he gets his pieces that he wants, his offense can be fun to, to kind of scheme and match up, and he does a good job creating offense that way. Devontae Adams is the big star there, but this is a team that, you know, getting rid of Derek Carr, kind of getting strapped against the cap and kind of peeling back some layers here and still trying to repair the sort of mess that John Gruden and Mike Mayock left them with after missing on so many draft picks. Um, just a lot going on there, but they haven't been here since 2018. We always go to Las Vegas, it feels like, lately. They'll be in Miami. That's a game the Dolphins should feel uh, good about going into. Same with the Broncos game. Uh, year two of Russell Wilson. Sean Payton, the big addition. We'll see how that matches up. I would prefer to get these guys early in the year to see uh, you know, Payton kind of try to get his hooks into that team and get them going in the right direction. I expect them to improve as the year goes along. They were super active in free agency. They're kind of a mystery team to me. I can see them actually getting back to like nine, eight, nine, ten wins. Wouldn't surprise me if they did that, but also wouldn't surprise me if they won like three or four games. I love how they repaired their offensive line. Thought they should have brought back Dalton Reisner, but they got like Mike McGlinchey. Uh, who is the center they signed? It's, my name's blanking right now, but they went out aggressively in, in free agency and signed an offensive line to kind of help Russell Wilson transition to more of a pocket passer, which was a struggle for him last year. We'll see if he can do it. With the Dolphins' pass rush, though, I expect them to light that front up on defense. And then offensively, that's still a good Broncos defense, so could be a fun matchup there. With the Titans, this is a, a mystery team. I think they're going to be a team of transition this year. They might be a half-cocked uh, transition team because will they keep Derrick Henry? Will they keep Ryan Tannehill? They've had a lot of cap casualties. That offensive line has really been beleaguered, kind of in transition right now, but like halfway in, like foot, toe in the water, not all the way in. Do they trade those guys off? If so, a team that's kind of looking forward to 2024, that could be a potential soft landing for Miami on the schedule if they do that. But what they look like in September, who the heck knows? Um, but I still like Miami's chances there, which the way the end of the year went for Miami kind of benefited the Dolphins in terms of getting the Titans and not the Jaguars from this AFC South game. Uh, getting the Panthers in the NFC South, I think it was pretty, it would have been okay either way you got that. But just getting those guys, getting the Ravens, who right now could be number four in the AFC North. The way the Dolphins, like the th three or four games that can change based upon where you finish, I think the Dolphins got, a, got some benefit in that is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Cowboys, that defense is really something. Micah Parsons is, is a tough guy to handle. Uh, same draft as Tua. That's a fun storyline there. The Cowboys trying to get over that playoff hump. The post-Zeke era, adding Brandon Cooks as a weapon in that offense. It's a good test for this Dolphins defense. Could be a primetime matchup. I would be surprised if it's not. The Giants with Brian Dayball versus Mike McDaniels, a fun OC matchup. Uh, I, I, like Tua against a guy like Daniel Jones, who just got a massive contract, is such a fascinating dichotomy because... Uh, one of those guys, I, I like his game a lot. One of those guys I do not, and one got paid big time. Um, but the Giants have really built up their defensive roster the last few years. Still some holes on the offensive line. Skill set, skill positions, not great. So I expect Miami to really compete in that one as well. This is going to be the theme for the entire episode. Like, I expect Miami to be able to compete with all these teams. The Panthers, you know, Tua versus the number one quarterback in the draft would be fun to see if it's C.J. Stroud, if it's Bryce Young, the Ohio State kid, or the Alabama kid. Either way, it's fun. Very bullish in the Panthers. Probably going to pick them to win the NFC South, but that's more of a reflection of how bad that division I expect to be. I love 
the offseason combination of getting Jeremy Chin back from injury and adding Von Bell at safety. That's kind of a fun matchup for Tua to have to uh, sift through. The Chiefs, obviously, Tyreek going back to KC. He's already talking up a big game there, which, again, it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. Big storyline. But I think the way these two teams operate offensively is what makes this game such a great matchup. It's going to be a shootout. It's going to be points. It's going to be efficient drives, good quarterback play, and explosive plays on the perimeter as well. That's a fun one to watch. I hope it's early in the year so it's not weather impeded. Uh, Chargers played their best ball late last year. They got healthier, which is the biggest reason they got better, I think. Uh, they got their big-name players back. This is a fun matchup, you know, between Duran James and Joey Bosa. Uh, on the offensive side, Austin Eckler, who wants out, by the way, talking about getting a new contract. Just imagine if that was our running back saying he wanted to leave our quarterback. Like, it's just funny to me. But either way, that matchup, I really want Miami to win that one so we can get two versus one, uh, two versus Herbert. The Ravens, what happens with them at quarterback next month? Is it Lamar Jackson coming back? I tend to think it will be. If it's not, you have to love this matchup. If it is, you look back to last year's shootout. Can it be a repeat of that? Would it be a primetime game because of that rematch and what was one of the best games in the NFL all last year? Do the Ravens have to transition everything if they do lose Lamar Jackson? Because uh, Lance Zerline had a crazy mock draft that had the Colts trading up for Lamar Jackson with that fourth pick, and then the the Ravens took Anthony Richardson number four, which would be awesome for the chaos, but they wouldn't really have to change much of their offense, at least not originally with that young running quarterback. So that's an interesting team to watch out for there, but we know Miami can score on that Ravens defense. The Eagles defending NFC champions, just a loaded roster. It looked like they might lose a ton of players, and some have left, but man, they kept a lot of that core together impressively. To me, this is the best team on the schedule. They did lose both coordinators to head coaching jobs, which I think is worth mentioning. And then the Washington Commanders looks like they'll go into the year with Sam Howell, I guess. Uh, That's what they've said. Defense was banged up last year. Probably won't be the case in this game. I love their skill group. Terry McLaurin's the most underrated player in the NFL, in my opinion. I think Jahan Dotson's awesome. I love Curtis Samuel, Diami Brown, Brian Robinson. Uh, What a fun team to watch, the Commanders. But I still think, you know, the quarterback position, it kind of seems like they might be with new ownership saying, let's kind of ease into this, give Sam Howell's chance that maybe in 2024, we make those sweeping changes and get the big quarterback. Maybe it's a coaching change. Who knows? We'll see how this year goes for them. But yeah, that's the schedule. Should be lots of primetime games, lots of fun matchups, lots of intriguing storylines. And that's what the Dolphins look forward to next month when the schedule comes out in May. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back to my conversation with Paulo Antunes uh, of ESPN Brazil. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. All right, what's up, Dolphins? Welcome back in. Joining me now from ESPN Brazil is Paulo Antunes. Paulo, thanks for jumping on with us here today, man. How are you doing? Travis, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be on. We've been talking back and forth for a while now, and I'm excited to have a chance to get you on here and and talk some Dolphins with you and kind of a brief conversation we had uh, before you jumped on here, learning about your your life as a Dolphins fan. And that always fascinates me how different people from different regions become fans of our team here. And I'm, I'm certainly a transplant myself coming from the Northwest uh, part of America. And you told me you were spent some time between Boston and, and Sarasota. So good company there here uh, in, in South Florida. And that, that obviously spreads your roots a little bit across the country here. And um, I told you before we had you on the podcast, we were talking about the schedule this coming season. And so as someone who follows the dolphins as closely as you do, uh, I was curious looking at the schedule, what games are you most excited about? 
uh, this upcoming year for Miami? Well, I'm always excited about the Bills games. Uh, I went to the Bills game last year. I almost fainted at the end. Okay, I must say. Okay, it was very, very stressful. They finally beat the Bills, right? Um, when I grew up a big Dolphins fan, um, I got the early 90s and the late 80s. So the Bills, man, and the Dolphins had maybe the best rivalry in the NFL there for a few years. And those games were fun and those games were frustrating, as you well know, right? So the Bills, to me, are our biggest rival. So it's always nice to see the Dolphins face off against Buffalo. And uh, Josh Allen, obviously, is a great player. Stefan Diggs against Xavier Howard is always a very, very cool matchup. We're eliminated by the Bills in the playoffs last year. So I'm hoping we get some revenge. So obviously, we got the Bills circled on our schedule. And I also want to see them play out there in Kansas City. I think it's going to be you know, a a great test for them to see where we're at, you know, because talent wise, the Dolphins, I think they can really compete in the division. I think they can compete to win playoff games this year. So I'm excited to see Tyreek Hill go back to Kansas City and throw up the peace sign and score some touchdowns. Yeah, I love the friendly trash talk he has going on with Chris Jones right now. He's uh, to me, it it makes the game better when you have that when it's not like an an animosity thing, but just having fun with each other, you can tell those guys go way back and and they're going to have fun competing when they get a chance to do that next year uh, on this upcoming schedule. But I loved you talking about the Buffalo bills. And I I always say that you can kind of tell which era somebody became a dolphins fan in based (laughs) upon which of the three division rivals they dislike the most. And, you know, the AFC East has been such an interesting, you know, topsy turvy type of swings division where you have obviously a long do- uh, period of dominance there by the new England Patriots, which I-, I think most of the people you interact with on social media would tell you the Patriots are the team that they dislike the most because mm-hmm. typically you go after the team that reigns at the top, but you get more into the nineties and those Buffalo bills and, and, you know, Jim Kelly and Dan Marino days, maybe oh. back in the eighties, a little more with those jets or, or for me, mm-hmm. like when the jets had that eight game winning streak on the dolphins there for a while, breaking mm-hmm. that was a big deal. So it's, yeah. I always love hearing that conversation. And you mentioned, you know, the games looking forward to this upcoming year. Any of the AFC East games are obviously ones that you can point to. But I also was curious to hear on your perspective, which games from last year, because you mentioned the the three games against Buffalo. Um, were those, would you consider those your favorite? Maybe they weren't because the Dolphins didn't get the, uh, I guess they lost the, the rubber match in the playoffs, the, the, the third of the three, and to fall to one and two against Buffalo. What were some moments last year, maybe besides the Buffalo series that really stood out to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I love the Baltimore game, right? Uh, when when Tua threw for what six touchdowns, four hundred and sixty nine yards, if uh, if I can remember correctly, there, and just that comeback because it was a game that the Dolphins basically always lose, right? Uh, especially against the Ravens, man. I mean, that's been like kind of like a house of horrors for for Miami for a while. So, I mean, they were down big in the in the fourth quarter, and if you look at the Dolphins' tendencies here in the last two decades. They just haven't built teams to really come back from big deficits, and they haven't had the the quarterback to be able to do that. And is Tua our future? Uh, Hopefully, right? But, I mean, uh, that comeback kind of showed what he was capable of doing. And, plus, it was in Baltimore against an uh, AFC opponent on the road. So that was a game that, uh, that I really, really enjoyed. Again, you, you can tell you're a pro because you took me right into my next question about, you know, the, the quarterback and you mentioned the Baltimore game and the comeback. And, um, you know, I want to talk to you about Tua's, you know, year three kind of breakout campaign that he had statistically where he was obviously the top rated quarterback in the NFL. Uh, didn't finish the year with the injury, obviously, was something that really kind of was a, a bummer towards the end of the year because it, w- it would have been fun to see how he, you know, 
wrote the final chapter of that season that was so entertaining through the first, you know, three quarters of it when he was really rolling there for a period of time. And I uh, just wanted to kind of get your, your take here on, on what Tua looked like in that third year, uh, kind of expectations now for you uh, as we roll into his fourth season now, second under head coach Mike McDaniel, because you, you talk about that Baltimore game. Someone that's watched this team for the better part of 25 years, it's been a long time since I felt the Dolphins mm-hmm. get the ball back with a, what was it, like a minute and 50 or two minutes to go, whatever it was, a uh, couple of timeouts and have to have a touchdown there to win the game. I, it, it felt like they were going to do it. There was no doubt in my yes. mind. He went right down the field. It's been a long time since we had that. It was really nice. I liked his evolution. Uh, I liked the chemistry with Mike McDaniel. Um, and I just like Mike McDaniel's creativity, right? Which is something we haven't had here, Travis, in a while, right? A creative offense. Um, I, I just like the aggressiveness of the offense. Um, but yeah, but I really like the steps that were taken. I'm very excited to see year two because we know it was a new system put in and everything and Tua kind of evolved a lot this year and I think he's going to take a next step uh next year yeah that's that's kind of I guess the the real I don't want to say the word hype but that's where the real like kind of excitement for the year comes into play is is that second year in the offense and I've talked to a lot of people around the league about you know how how that second year in an offense can really kind of make that jump for a quarterback and for any player at any position because of Mm -hmm. the more second nature feel I, I compare it to when you get to high school and you're, you know, your freshman year, you don't know where the, your locker is. You don't know where your classes are and you're nervous. And then your sophomore year, you come back, maybe you have your driver's license now and you know where you're going and you're a little bit more of a big man on campus and just <laughs> kind of that comfortable feeling in year two is I, I think a, a reasonable expectation and growth. You've mentioned the offensive line a little bit, you know, that the offense running the football. And I think, you know, at Mike McDaniel's end of year press conference, he talked a little bit about things that he feels he can improve upon and, and uh, you know, short yardage was a, an issue for the team at times mm-hmm. last year. And it's so crazy because they were still so highly ranked in offense, but it seemed like one area where you would think higher conversion and short yardage, it's a small sample size because you just don't get that many opportunities, but didn't convert enough of those. Maybe that's where Braxton Barrios comes into play. Maybe some more growth in the running game from same offensive line, same running game, uh, all kind of coming back here this year. But uh, you, you mentioned McDaniel kind of, you know, the aggressiveness and the fourth downs mm-hmm. and it got started right away in that Patriots game, man. That yes. wobble touchdown was so much fun to just kind of, okay, that's, that's when you knew like, all right, things are a little bit different here offensively in terms of the, the firepower this group has. So when you talk about McDaniel, I'm always curious to hear, especially someone that covers, you know, coaches and athletes for a living, your impression of the guy, because on one hand, you have this person where if you interview him, it's so tempting to just want to talk to him about whatever he wants to talk about, because he is so captivating about whatever the hell it is he wants to talk about. But on the other hand, you have this guy who is an absolute genius, a PhD, a PhD level expert in the game of football, like as a journalist, how would you approach like talking to a guy that has that much intrigue on both sides of the spectrum? Well, I think you got to really explore his personality. I mean, that's that that's fun. That's what people want to want to see and want to hear. Right. Um, just uh, I, and he's got it. So I'm, as an interview, I think it would be very fun because uh, he seems like he's just got great chemistry within that team. I mean, you see his um, his locker room speeches after wins and everything. <laughs> And he seems like a kid in the candy store. Right. And I think it does. And I think, I think the, I think the players are really drawn to that. Now with Mike in, it seems like he's getting the most out of his quarterback. And we know the quarterback position is the most important position um, on the field. So I like Mike McDaniel. Like you said, he's a genius, man. You know, players want to win players want to be taught 
players want to be in a system where they can flourish. And it's obvious that um, on offense, he's very, very smart. And now with Vic Fangio in the fold, the Dolphins might have maybe... I don't maybe the best defensive coordinator and maybe the best play caller in the league for the upcoming season. I think it's a possibility. I really do. There's, I mean, if you were going to cut a, a clip for social media, there's your teaser right there, because I mean, what gets you more excited than that? I mean, you talk about the talent this roster has in addition to the level uh, of coaching staff, you believe they have with the, the experience of a Vic Fangio and, and what Mike McDaniel proved in his rookie season. And, you know, you talk about Fangio coming over here to coach the defense. That was an area last year where, I think you would expect the Dolphins to have produced at a higher level on defense. Now injuries mm-hmm. had a big, big, big part of that, especially in the defensive backfield. But Vic Fangio comes over, and this is a guy that has gotten production. He's gotten takeaways in his defenses every time he's, you know, pretty much laced him up as a coach. And they go out and they go aggressively this offseason, yeah. really going, you know, to to attack those those perceived needs and, and weaknesses on the defense. I mean, Jalen Rams is a huge addition. David Long, mm-hmm. uh, those were, I thought, the two two of the biggest moves the entire offseason. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to ask you, which move are you most excited about this offseason, be it defense, offense, or, or even special teams? I, I, obviously, Jalen Ramsey. And, I mean, we get him for a third-round pick and Hunter Long. Partnering up with Xavier Howard and Javon Hall. And I'm also excited about Deshaun Elliott. And he came at a very small cost, well, $1.77 million for the year. Um, Brandon Jones coming back. We're going to have to see how he comes back right from injury. Same thing with Nick Needham, but Cater Co who did, did tremendous work. So this could be the best secondary. I don't want to like say this could be the best secondary in Miami Dolphins history. I think, you know, let's, let, let, let's wait to see what happens. But if we look on paper, Travis with Jalen, maybe being considered the best defensive back in the NFL with Xavier Howard, what two years ago, he had 10 interceptions at one time. He might've been considered the best cornerback in the league here in recent years. I mean, the dolphins could be extremely dangerous in that secondary. And I like Jalen because he's an alpha male. And I think that's something, if you look at the dolphins history here in the last two decades that we haven't really had too much of in the locker room. And I think every team, especially on defense, needs to have that mentality, that bully mentality. And I think Jalen Ramsey is a talker and he backs it up. And I just I just like the way he goes about his business. So I think that 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 just that pedigree that he brings um, mixed with Vic Fangio. And I think I think David Long, especially in those soft boxes, you know, Vic Fangio likes to have those safeties back and you, know, you, you those linebackers have to have good gap integrity. And I think David Long is very good against the run. I think he's going to fit in perfectly in that system, to tell you the truth. I just and Jalen Phillips, I'm super excited about Jalen Phillips in year three. And if Bradley Chubb can stay healthy, we're talking about a team that talent wise, they can be the best defense in the NFL. Will it all come together? I don't know. But I think uh, I think they have the pieces to do it. It sounds like sounds like a good offseason then really all around. You talk about the draft picks, got a couple of a uh, couple of weeks out here from the NFL draft. Looking forward to adding some more talent, some more players there. 
And, you know, speaking of the draft, we had a draft pick announced from Brazil a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, learning more about the, I guess, Dolphins culture and football culture in the country of Brazil. Um, it's, it's just really cool to see the NFL branch out the way that it has. And I'm excited to talk to you about, you know, about this with someone that, like you mentioned, spent 18 years uh, working for ESPN Brazil and, and living there. I'm curious uh, to finish up here, Paulo, about the fan experience in the country of Brazil. Uh, how did you how did you view games? I know you work in sports, so you probably had to work a lot of those Sundays. But if you had a Dolphin Sunday to yourself, was it was it a sports bar? Do they have Dolphins bars there? Are you perched up on the couch like the rest of us here watching all the fantasy teams and all that stuff? Like, what is it like watching the NFL and, and specifically the Miami Dolphins uh, from the country of Brazil? Well, first off, uh, we watch all the games because we have Game Pass in Brazil and Game Pass has all the games live. Right. Aside from that, we have ESPN Brazil. We have four channels and you won't believe this, but we show like we've shown up to 10 live games in a weekend. So no other no other station in the world shows live games with a frequency that ESPN Brazil does. So it's it's pretty amazing, like how big it is uh, in Brazil on TV. Um, for me, I watch every single Dolphins game. Okay, so I'll do the Sunday night game, and the Dolphins usually play at one. So I get to Sunday, and I'm already ready for the Sunday night game. So I don't, I don't, I'm I'm not very good at missing Dolphins games. That's the one thing that I still hold on. I'm 45 years old, Travis. I shouldn't even care anymore. Okay. But that's one thing that I still hold on to, right. Is the Dolphins. And I do not miss, uh, I do not miss any games, but it, it's, it's amazing in Brazil, man. There's amateur leagues uh, going on everywhere. They're, they're so organized. It's really amazing. They have very, very little money, but there's people in the stands and I think I think people in Brazil, I think they want an alternative, right? Because it's basically what just soccer in Brazil, right? And they, you know, I, I think the marketing that the NFL does with the NFL is very special. And people see that and I think they're very drawn to it, right? And also contact sports. Like you look in Brazil, there's a lot of a lot of great fighters, right? MMA and UFC. And I think people are also drawn to that style of sport, right? So the physicality of of football, I think is something that that's really you know, getting people's attention out there in Brazil. It's fun to see. Yeah. Like Durval Kedas Neto was a judo champion, right? He's a very good friend very of mine with, I'm sorry. Good friend of mine. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. Good yes. deal. Yeah. He was, he yeah. was fun to watch in practice, man, just because of how strong he was. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he, when he would get it right from a technique standpoint, he would toss guys. It was fun to watch because he was just so big and so strong. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was fun to watch with there for a couple of years in training camp. Paulo, thank you for your time today, my friend. Uh, Paulo Antunas, ESPN Brazil. You can find him on Twitter by dropping an at in front of his name uh, up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff, right? Paulo, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. Thank you, Travis. Go Dolphins. Let's win a playoff game. The last time the Dolphins won a playoff game, I was at the stadium against the Colts. It was a great game. I missed that. I missed that energy. Let's bring that back this year, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I allude to that moment all the time. I was in the sixth grade watching that game uh, in my parents' living room. So, yes, that would be great to get that energy back. Paulo, thank you for your time again. He is Paulo Antunas, ESPN Brazil. You can find him on Twitter, at Paulo Antunas, as well as Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Thank you so much for your time today, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Sound good? All right, man. Thank you so much, Travis. Take care. Last segment of the week here on the Drive Time Podcast. And if you guys haven't had a chance to go back and check out the Fish Tank episode with Seth and Juice uh, with Zach Thomas, man, I I thought the 
uh, sound bites from various journalists and teammates and coaches of Zach was the best podcast they've done. Just from a, not from a, just a content standpoint, from a production standpoint, Seth killed it on that one. Great stuff as always. But this one's right there, man. Like the information you get from Zach, the in, the introspective nature of how he saw his career. I love when he talked about how he felt the game kind of slowed down in a way in like 2005 because he learned how to be, you know, a pro, how to be a veteran more so than he already was by talking about, you know, rather than going into the weight room and kind of bullshitting for, for five minutes, I would just not do that and save myself time and, and really maximize my time in the facility uh, talking about the chess match with Peyton Manning. I just really thought that episode was top shelf stuff. If you have not heard it, go ahead and check it out. And also, it's pretty cool like t- to have Seth conduct that interview, and obviously OJ too, like without question. But for Seth to come out of the gate and just like needle Zach a little bit and give him a hard time, and then Zach to come back on the other side and poke back at him, that's why they had to get Zach in the fish tank for the best interview with the Hall of Fame linebacker because of that relationship. You cannot duplicate that. You cannot top that. Fish Tank guys killed it once again. Check them out on our podcast network here, the Fish Tank with Seth Levin, OJ McDuffie, the Zach Thomas Hall of Fame linebacker episode. Here on Drive Time, since we are doing draft content pretty much for the next three weeks or so, I know, Noah, stick with me, I thought it would be a good time to spend some time looking at the top of the draft this year and... To be perfectly frank with you guys, having night one of the draft, you know, not having a player to look at kind of stinks, but uh, having the whole night off, not that bad. From a content perspective, I just like watching the draft a little bit. Uh, But even though Miami doesn't pick until 51, I do think most of the listeners of the show have an interest interest in what goes on elsewhere. Again, Noah, and I'll throw Seth in there as well. I know you guys don't care, but I know most of our audience are diehards and eat, breathe, sleep NFL like myself. So I wanted to share with you some notes from one of my favorite annual pieces from Bruce Feldman, who is the guy for college football. He writes at The Athletic. His freaks list gives us a whole podcast every year that he publishes in the summer giving us a glimpse into the upcoming college season. We use it in February or or January to look at which athletes will test the best at the combine that year. But he has another one that I find to be fascinating because he does the mock draft approach in the most respectable way. He gets intel from people, uh, from coaches, from people that played against these guys. In fact, my favorite part was the intel he had about Jalen Waddell back in 2021. Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri head coach, had a, a blurb in there talking about how, yeah, Heisman winner Devontae Smith had the numbers that season, but in their game plan, they said, it's Jalen Waddell who has our attention. We have to stop this guy. If you let Waddle catch the ball in space, he's going to beat you with long touchdowns, and he actually did in that game too, which is funny. And that was true for all those guys, but for to see Waddle as the emphasis on that team, you know, on the team that had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith, for Waddle to be the guy they're like, hey, 17, let's watch him. That should tell you all you have to know about Jalen Waddle. And of course, we later found out that he had those amazing pre-draft grades across the league. Uh, the Jaguars had him rated as highly as Trevor Lawrence. Like that tells you all you have to know, right? So I wanted to go back and read this piece or, or look over it from Bruce Feldman. It's a mock draft with commentary on each player, really insightful stuff. And it begins with CJ Stroud to the Panthers. And man, I just really hope that's the pick. I love Stroud's game. I think he excels in the most important aspects of the position with the poise, the timing, the anticipation, the ball placement, winning from the pocket, all of that. 
We've discussed it ad nauseum on this podcast. And I think this is where an interesting conversation begins because I do believe that for immediate success for a rookie, I think athleticism and the ability to extend does go further because these guys are trying to learn the speed of the game while they endure those growing pains. Uh, you know, reading defenses, it's not going to happen overnight. And if you have athletic ability, you can get by and survive a little more while you do become that student of the game. That's why I was so impressed with Tua early in his career, because that's not his game, but he was able to process still as a rookie, you know, in offenses that were foreign to him. But you're not drafting a quarterback first, top five or top 10 for their rookie season, really anywhere. You're looking for that permanent guy, 10 plus year answer, right? It's why I found a lot of comparisons with Stroud's game to our guy, to Tua. Look at the production that Tua gave you when he gets some time, gets an offense that marries to his strengths, and gets some playmakers to maximize what he does well. I could see CJ Stroud following a similar trajectory in Carolina as they work to build an offense around him. If that's the pick, maybe it's Bryce Young and this is all wrong, but here's the blur from the Bruce Feldman uh, mock draft. He's so accurate and so calm. I wasn't sure about the Buckeyes' previous guy's ability to read coverage, but I know CJ can. He has such a good ability to process. His anticipation is so good. He runs better than you think. He's the complete package. This next blurb, he's the most accurate quarterback I've ever played against. It's like he couldn't have handed the ball to his receivers any better. They are 30, 40 yards downfield. He's got high-level NFL accuracy and NFL vision. I think he understands the game so well and gets it out in under three seconds. He has very high football IQ. Who does that sound like to you guys? That is Tua Tungavailoa scouting report, man. But then to me, the reason Bryce Young is next here on Feldman's mock, not because he's a better athlete than CJ, he is, it's because he's also pretty damn good in that department as well. I am a believer in Bryce, been watching him forever. I was really impressed, especially with his intelligence and decision-making. He's emotionally mature and really accurate. We've heard when Bill O'Brien got there, Bryce ended up teaching him the early stages of their offense. So that's the top two quarterbacks there. Will Anderson from Alabama next. The praise is effusive, all-time type of pass rusher. Then he's got Anthony Richardson forward of the Colts, and that's so fascinating to me. It's going to be a fun draft, man. Richardson provides the perfect juxtaposition to Stroud. Every comment in the Feldman piece is about his athletic ability. You see the Josh Allen comparisons with the completion percentage being too low, taking the athlete with hopes, athlete that hopes that it all develops and becomes that next level quarterback. To me, Richardson's a scout's dream and Stroud's is a coach's dream. It's the perfect intersection of those two worlds in this draft. Here's the quote. Talent-wise, there isn't anybody better. When he's got his knees bent, mechanics-wise, he's really good. When he gets straight-legged at the top of the drop, he becomes inaccurate. That's why I love this piece. You get coaches' intel from mechanics and that type of thing that matters, not just social media hot takes. Jalen Carter to Seattle. Holy S. He jumps off the tape is the first commentary there. Then Tyree Wilson to the Lions. They praise his upside as a potential best ball ahead of him player. Uh, Then Paris Johnson, the first offensive tackle off the board to Las Vegas. He has the tools to be an all-time great left tackle. Amazing athlete and frame. Really solid tape. And you just saw him get better as his career went along. You continue that trajectory. He'll be a pro bowler every single year. Then we go to Lucas Van Ness to Atlanta, Pete Skaronsky to the Bears, and how about Bijan Robinson rounding out the top 10 to the Philadelphia Eagles, and how great would that be for that offense? It would spark a million debates, but man, give me five years of B. John Robinson on a rookie contract and use him up. Use all those carries in the first five years of his career on a team that's going to win a bunch of games. That makes sense to me. He is special, special. That's the top 10. Let's go through the rest of this and not spoil all the picks aside from this. It has the Jets and Patriots with Broderick Jones and Devon Witherspoon, two of my favorites in this class. I don't want to see that happen. Jones would be a good answer for the Jets at tackle, something they haven't had in a long time. 
and Witherspoon would help to replace the Patriots' uh, cornerback position where they've been kind of down the last couple of years. Let's go ahead and talk about how this mock, though, relates to Miami. We get our first tight end at 15 with Michael Mayer to the Packers. We see a drive-time favorite in Darnell Washington go off the board 26 to Dallas. Dalton Kincaid had gone 21 to the Chargers. Now, it does cover each team who does not have a first-round pick, so he mocks to Miami Yaya Diaby, the edge from Louisville. Now, Louisville is fun to watch. They play the game the right way, and Diaby is a good example of that. And what do I always say? Like, draft good players, and you'll be fine. But this would really test that theory because, frankly, the Dolphins are fine at edge. In fact, I think it's the deepest edge group in the NFL and arguably the best. Sure, you can never have enough pass rushers, right? But with Phillips and Chubb here for the foreseeable future, getting Ogbaugh back this year, signing Malik Reed, re-signing Andrew Van Ginkle, where the hell would Diaby get his snaps from? And I say that as a huge fan of his game. My goodness, he plays the game the right way. The best pass rusher we saw this year, better than Clemson, guys. The kid got a lot better from last season. They used him better. They didn't drop him as much. Holy cow, the kid is explosive. He can bend and he is fast. He plays fast and physical. The way he came, to, he comes out of his hips and his change of direction on screens, man, he's explosive as all get out. Great praise, but I don't understand that selection at all. Now, here's how the first round went. Five QBs, one running back, four wide receivers, three tight ends, four offensive tackles, no interior offensive line, seven edge, three defensive tackles, no linebackers, four corners, and no safeties. And looking at that, four tackles would be light to me. That's where you start to say, you know, after day one, which of those guys could see some activity at the top of round two? Because every year we get that one position group falls, a couple of players fall and teams start to come up and they trade up and we see a flurry of activity to take advantage of a group or player that possibly slid. To me in this mock, that would be offensive tackles, especially when you factor in zero interior offensive linemen. So in a pretty damn good offensive line class, just four off the board early. Three tight ends to me hurts, especially since they're three really good ones. Would be very curious to what picks 32 through 50 looked like at the tight end spot to see if Miami goes in that direction. Then, of course, the running backs where that value has slid back a little bit in terms of average draft position over the years. Similar deal with the linebackers and safeties, but I think the main takeaway is given Miami's offseason so far, the roster they entered the offseason with, there just aren't really many spots you can point to as like, quote-unquote, holes or an area that has to be addressed. I mean, yeah, maybe right tackle and tight end is good spots to look at, but it's a great place to be heading into the draft and allows you to hashtag pick good players, right? I just thought those position groups we've spent so much time on were interesting. We've heard about tight end, offensive line, running back, and cornerback as strengths of the draft, and those spots were probably the biggest knees for the Dolphins heading into free agency, but now you get the entire running back room back, Jalen Ramsey's here. You really minimize the need there, and we'll see about the offensive line and tight end. Uh, in the meantime, speaking of offensive line, Joe Marino on Monday's podcast, breaking down the offensive line class. Don't miss that. But interesting stuff here. We'll have a lot more draft content coming your way in the next few weeks. Before I get out of here, I watch and listen to a lot of podcasts. They help me keep the show fresh and take some ideas from some of my favorite podcasters and then do my own version of that. The Jessel Nick Rosenthal Vanity Project podcast is a segment called Recommendation Station. Usually it's books and I just don't have the time to read ever. So uh, the time I do have, I don't have the energy to focus on reading. So I just watch shows and movies. This is sort of a prime area on the calendar for TV, right? Live sports always trumps all. I enjoyed watching the tourney with all the upsets. The Mariners got off to a slow start. 
two and five homestand. That's that's pretty typical for the Mariners. If we could just have Luis Castillo start every game and Julio take every at bat, we win the whole damn thing. But that's not possible. The Masters is underway. I'm gonna go play golf here tonight at Pembroke Lakes. Then we've got shows, baby. New season of Succession underway. That's heating up after the second episode. There's a new show on AMC called. Uh, uh, Lucky Hank. It's a Bob Odenkirk, Vince Gilligan vehicle. I'm really into that so far. Very different from Better Call Saul, but enjoying it. Yellow Jackets, pretty good. Uh, I, I thought it was better at the beginning than it has been. They've kind of taken on too much, in my opinion. Like, too many plot lines and storylines. Getting absolutely wild, but new episode out tonight. I'm always excited to check out uh, new shows of, of what I'm watching. The new series or season of Dave was phenomenal. The first two episodes, you got to check that out. Now, I mentioned golf. All of this is to say, even with all this content between feeding Cameron and tending to him when he's upset, you probably heard him on the podcast earlier, I have been hammering golf course vlogs on YouTube. They, they just mesmerize me. Random Golf Club has some great ones. I even searched all the local courses out here that I play, and the content there is just not good. Maybe I'm going to start recording my shots and doing that myself, but that's been the majority of what I've been watching. Check them out. Biggest recommendation remains Dave. The first two episodes were so good. The whole series is great. That's the best show on TV. Uh, Season three, catch up on Hulu with that one, and catch up with me at Pembroke Lakes Golf Course tonight. My tee time is 324. Come out there and uh, say what's up if you're out there. That's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast and all of our international podcasts here in the network the youtube channel for media availabilities dolphins today and much much more and last but not least miamidolphins.com until next time fins up caroline and cameron daddy's already home